Right, there are notes to go with the sermon. Um, if you should have picked one up on the way in, if you haven't got one and need to, just put your hand up and the stewards will bring one around. Oh, yeah, there's a few. <laughs> the reading is going to be from Exodus chapters 19 and 20. It's on page 76 in the church Bibles. And we're running ahead of time, so I can do the whole reading. <laughs> So Exodus chapter 19, and starting at verse 1. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob. And what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud, so the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Make them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, Be careful that you do not go up the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. He shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows, not a hand is to be laid on him. Whether man or animal, he shall not be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they go up to the mountain. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them, and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, Prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai, and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warm the people, so they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up Mount Sinai, 
because you yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord, or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you, so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here we are, at the latest of the best-known bits of Exodus. We've had the burning bush and the Passover and the parting of the Red Sea and now we've reached Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments. But as luck would have it, today we run into one of those frustrating timetable clashes. We need a shorter service so we can meet to discuss calling a new minister. But we've also got Ten Commandments. I reckon that would give me 90 seconds per commandment. And I don't think either you or I can go quite that fast. So what I've done is to put look at the actual commandments into the connect group notes for today. And here in the sermon, I'll concentrate on the rest of the passage, which is good because it's the bit that you usually skip over. And we start with chapter 19 
where the Israelites finally arrive at Mount Sinai. And if you remember back to earlier in the series, to Exodus 3 and the burning bush, this is precisely the promise that God made to Moses, that he would know God was with him because he and the Israelites would come to worship on this mountain. And here they are. God has kept his promise. And the scene is set out like what we would call a biblical epic, which I suppose it really is. <laughs> There's thunder and lightning and thick cloud and the blast of a trumpet. There are commands not to touch or even approach the mountain. Otherwise you would die. And the picture that's being drawn for us here is one of awe and majesty. And the people are quite literally trembling with fear. And that's precisely how it's meant to be. Because this is where God sets the scene for them. Before he gives them his laws, his commandments. God is great. He is holy. He is infinitely more than us. What he says has to be taken very seriously. He's most definitely not to be messed with. If he gives a command, it should be obeyed. These are not going to be the ten suggestions. But, but wait a minute. If you've read your Bibles, you may remember that in Hebrews chapter 12, it makes a huge contrast between these events at Mount Sinai and the coming of Jesus. It uses the pictures of Mount Sinai on one hand and Mount Zion on the other to distinguish between them. Let me read it to you so you see what I'm meaning. The writer is speaking to Christian believers. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. What a contrast. And the writer does seem to be emphasizing the difference between the first covenant made with Moses here at Mount Sinai and the new covenant made by Jesus. One is fear and awe. The other is joy. So what's he saying? Is it that these are two completely different things? Some people even go as far as to say they must be about two completely different gods. An Old Testament God, fierce and angry, and a New Testament God, gentle and loving. Can that be true? And the answer is definitely no. The tone may be different, but it's the same God revealing himself to his people each time. 
Here at Sinai, the emphasis is on God's holiness. The fact that he is judge of all the earth. Yet even here, the very fact they are standing at this mountain is because of God's grace, his love. He's rescued them to bring them here. And the fearsome commands to keep away from the mountain, they're there to protect the people. God is concerned for their welfare. They're not overwhelmed and destroyed by his holiness. The God we meet in the Old Testament is holy, but he is also loving and gracious, and he cares for his people. And even in the New Testament, Jesus gives us laws to live by, and he expects them to be obeyed. In John's Gospel, we read this, If you love me, you will obey my commands. We see grace and love in Jesus. But the knowledge of God's holiness, of his awesome might, underlies the whole story. So what we're seeing here is not two different gods, but two different aspects of God's nature. Yes, he is merciful and loving, and we see that so greatly in Jesus. But he is also holy and infinitely greater than us. We need to pay attention to what he says, what he commands. This stuff really matters. And so then, we come to chapter 20 and the Ten Commandments. As I said, we're not going to look at the commandments themselves in detail. But there is one thing I do want to bring out from them. And it's to do with this, this whole idea of laws and commandments. Because there are two different ways people tend to present what the Christian faith is all about. One is to preach the grace and forgiveness of God. Come forward. Respond to the altar call, pray the prayer, give your life to Jesus and everything will be okay. Your sins will be forgiven. And there's nothing you can argue with in that. It's all true. Jesus calls us to himself to repent and have faith in him. And our sins will be forgiven. We will be reconciled to God. We will be adopted into his family. But, and there's always a but... What does that kind of gospel preaching say about the way we live? Is there any expectation we will become different people in any way? Does repentance lead to a changed life? Does it matter how we live for the rest of our lives? Sometimes the way we present the gospel misses that part of the story. That's one extreme. The other is preaching that emphasizes laws and rules. Here are things you must do if you want to please God. Here is what a righteous life looks like. Repent and turn around. Start living this life and you will please God. But then, where is the message of the Jesus who welcomes sinners and eats with them? Do you see the shortcomings of each of those? And the unfortunate thing is that churches sometimes steer to one extreme or the other when they talk about the gospel. Because we don't always get how they fit together. 
On the one hand, grace and forgiveness for sinners without having to earn God's favor in any way. On the other hand, a life of discipleship and obeying God's commands. And here we are with the Ten Commandments in front of us, facing the same dilemma, because these are laws. These are rules to live by. You can't get away from it. And are we supposed to try and live by them and claim God's favor for doing so? Or are we to say they don't matter and God will forgive us anyway? It's the old story, the difficult balance between law and grace, between mercy and obedience. And hopefully you can see that to go to one extreme or the other is to get that balance wrong. If we say it's only about receiving Jesus and being forgiven, then what about discipleship and growth in obeying God? What about holiness? And if we say it's only about righteousness and obeying the rules, then what about God's undeserved love, his grace and mercy to sinners? It's all a question of getting the balance right. And here, even in the Ten Commandments, we see how to approach that balance. Because right at the beginning of the Ten, in verse 2, it says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Some people have called that the zeroth commandment, the one that comes before all the others, because it reminds them that it all starts with God's action, with his grace. Look at where this sits in the whole story of Exodus. He's already seen their suffering and heard their prayers He's already sent Moses and the ten plagues. He's already rescued them through the Passover and the parting of the Red Sea. He's already taken care of them in the desert despite all their grumbling. All these things came first. And they all came from God's grace, not their deserving. And so it's after he's already saved them that the Ten Commandments are given. These are not rules to be followed to get them into God's kingdom. These are rules for those who have already entered it by God's grace. It's about how God's people should live, not about how they should become God's people. A key verse is back in chapter 19. And verse 6, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's what he's called them to, to be a holy nation, to be priests, men and women who serve him by bringing the presence of God to their neighbors. And in case you're thinking this is something only for ancient Israel, Almost the same words are repeated in 1 Peter chapter 2. This time for us, the church, the followers of Jesus. He says this, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So it's for us too. 
And the idea is that when God rescues us by his grace, it doesn't stop there. It makes a relationship between us and God. It makes us part of his family. And when a relationship exists, if you want it to last, you adjust your behavior to suit the other person. And this is how God wants his people to live. And remember chapter 19, this is serious stuff. God is holy. God is mighty. This is stuff we should definitely pay attention to. Because in the new relationship God makes by calling us his people, he wants to transform us. His end goal, the model you like we have in front of us, is Jesus himself. And in case you feel that's a standard that's rather beyond us, in Romans, Paul tells us that that's what God is actively working towards in us. He says, those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. This is what he is doing. This is what he's given us his own spirit for. And what's our role in this? It's to pursue holiness. To set our hearts and minds on actually living in ways that please God. In 1 Peter chapter 1 again it says, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So God's call is to holiness, to live our lives deliberately and intentionally in ways that please him. You may hear the phrase intentional discipleship many times in the next few months. Lives that are totally dedicated to his service, because that's what holiness actually means. Remembering that this is first of all about relationship. He first made us his own people. He rescued us from our sins. He calls us his treasured possession. He calls us to belong to him. He makes us his children, all by his grace alone. So now we are his people, his children. Let's live to please our heavenly father. Amen.